Well, if you've been in church before, you've probably heard the story of Rahab. It's a very familiar story. And if we look at her story, in verse 1, we're told a very clear detail about her. In verse 1, we are told that Rahab was a prostitute. Three times in Joshua chapter 2, we are told that Rahab was a prostitute. And it's really important for us not to romanticize this and think of Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. We need to be thinking more of Fantine in Les Mis. Prostitution was a horrible profession, and she was doing it in a horrible city. A woman who is being forced to sell her body for money. You know, I find it really interesting that Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. And in two places, she is mentioned as still being a prostitute, or not being still being a prostitute, but still mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. In Hebrews 11.31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute. In James 2.25, it says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified. Now, if I'm Rahab, I'm thinking, come on, it's been like 1,500 years. Can you not call me something else here? She's thinking, maybe I shouldn't have got that tattooed on my arm. Or how awkward is that going to be when we meet her in the new heavens and the new earth? Hey, it's Rahab. Hey, good to meet you. So she's known everywhere in Scripture for being Rahab the prostitute. But she's also known for something else. Something else she's mentioned uh, uh, with in the New Testament. Did you hear it? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Hebrews 11 is a really famous chapter. It's famous because it's all the biblical characters who have demonstrated great faith. Only two women are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah, the wife of the great patriarch Abraham, and Rahab, the prostitute. Humanly speaking, these are two women who have very little in common included in the same chapter, both commended for their faith. And in James chapter 2, it says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you read James chapter 2, her faith in this section is not being compared to Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Her faith is actually being compared to the faith of Abraham. Now think about that. If Sarah and Rahab had little in common, then Abraham the patriarch and Rahab the prostitute had even less in common. One was a wealthy nobleman and the other was a poor woman of the lowest social order. One was a Gentile and one was an Israelite. In this same chapter in the Bible, we have a prostitute and a patriarch. That's Christianity. That's beautiful. Rahab the prostitute is commended for her faith. 
And so what we want to look at this morning is what kind of faith did she have? Because Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, the first question we need to make sure is very sure in our own minds is, what or how much faith do we have to have in order to be saved by God? It's really good news. Just a bit. You see, for we are saved not by the quantity of faith, how much we have, nor the quality of our faith, but we're saved by the object of our faith. So how much does it take for you to be saved? Just a little. But how much faith does it take for you to live an abundant life? It's also good news. Just a little bit more than yesterday. You see, as believers, we want to mature. We want to grow in our Christian life. And one of the ways that Rahab challenges us to grow is to grow in our faith. To grow in our faith in God because it will impact our daily lives. And so we want to look at three beautiful ways that her faith said yes to God in this passage. The first of which is this. Growing faith recognizes the mercy and the grace of God. If you were to just begin reading the book of Joshua, you would read Joshua chapter 1, and the Israelites, under the leadership of Joshua, would be preparing to conquer the promised land. And Jericho was the first city as they were to enter the promised land. And then in chapter 3, they go into the promised land and they conquer Jericho. We would expect to go from chapter 1 to chapter 3, but instead, we have this abrupt break in the story of Joshua for chapter 2. Why? Think about that with me for just a moment. Rahab was living in Jericho. It was a, it was a very evil city. They were known for throwing children on the altars. They were known for sleeping with prostitutes as a form of their temple worship. And clearly... Rahab was a sinner among sinners. She was living in a city deserving judgment. And Joshua and the people, they were preparing to conquer the city of Jericho. So they sent two spies, not twelve this time, into the city to the house of Rahab. And if you think about that, it makes sense as well. There's no better place for men to go without drawing attention to themselves And it's also a place where they might find some news, loose lips discussing the issues of the day. So these two spies went to Rahab's house for a reconnaissance mission. But unknown to them, God had a different providential mission in mind. Underneath the providence of God, these two spies went to the house of Rahab the prostitute in order for mercy to come to the house of Rahab. That's that idea in verse 11 when Rahab says, God, show kindness to me. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what our sins deserve. And so in Joshua chapter 2, God wants His people, God wants us to know something really important about His plan. His plan includes mercy and grace for the least likely of people. Mercy 
was breaking in to the house of Rahab. But mercy wasn't just coming to Rahab in chapter 2. Grace was coming to the two spies. Do you remember 40 years earlier, the nation of Israel had been camped outside of Jericho. And they sent 12 spies to go and scout out the land. But they came back and they were too afraid. And so God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so here they are, a generation later, camped across the river from Jericho. And do you know what God had to tell them over and over in chapter 1? Over and over in chapter 1, he had to tell Joshua and the Israelites to be strong and courageous. Why? Why do you have to be told to be strong and courageous? Because you're full of fear. God knows that the Israelites will be tempted to be full of fear again. And so he has another providential encounter planned for the two spies. They show up at the house of Rahab expecting to learn something about the city and instead they hear a sermon preached by an Amorite prostitute reminding them about the God that they serve. Grace was coming to the spies. What is grace? Grace is getting something that we don't deserve and the two spies We're getting a healthy dose of grace from an unlikely source, an Amorite prostitute turned preacher. God sent Rahab to help the spies because God knew their fearful heart. Why is chapter 2 included in Joshua? Well, it's quite obvious, isn't it? It's to show us that mercy and grace is breaking into the story of Rahab and the spies. Mercy is coming to the religious outsider, Rahab, a sinner of sinners. She was no stronger. She was no better. She was no holier. She was no wiser than anyone else in the city. But mercy was coming to her. Grace was coming to the Israelites, to the two spies. If you remember why God chose the nation of Israel... It wasn't because they were strong. It was because they were weak. It was because they were few. The nation of Israel, they were not any stronger, wiser, or smarter than the Amorites. But grace had broken in to their story. Christian, if you're here today, that's our story as well. The Christian faith is the result of the mercy and grace of God breaking into the life of the undeserving. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Such an amazing reality that God chose the lowly, God chose the weak, God chose the foolish. It's also a humbling reality because who is he talking about? He's talking about me and he's talking about you. Grace and mercy is breaking into the lives of those who do not deserve it. Friends, when grace and mercy break into our lives, we will be unable to look down on anyone. 
Because God didn't look at me. God didn't look at you. And he wasn't impressed. He didn't say, oh, wow, look at that. He has a degree from the University of Tennessee. I'm impressed. I know that's not impressive. (laughs) He doesn't look at the trophies we may have received. He doesn't look at our physical affection, our physical stature. He doesn't look at anything that we have achieved and go, wow. He just loves us because we're the lowly, because we're the weak, because we're the foolish. And when we understand that, that we are all undeserving of the mercy of God, it changes the way we relate to other people. The only reason that any of us are in this room is the unmerited favor of God. One of the things that we've used to describe this series is growing from a child to an adult. And so it's helpful to think about what a child is like. A mark of immaturity is actually to think that you are more deserving than you are. That's what kids do. Think about children and their rights. How many times as a parent do I hear, but dad, that's not fair. They overestimate their rights because I want to look at them and say, you just hit your brother in the face. It is fair that you don't get to go out and play in the yard with your friends. Children often overestimate not only their rights, thinking they are more deserving than they are, they also overestimate their ability. How many times do I get asked when I'm coaching baseball, why can't I pitch? And I want to say, because you can't throw strikes. (laughs) That's what we do. That's what kids do. We often overestimate our rights and our ability. You see, amazing grace didn't save a wretch like them. Amazing grace saved a wretch like me. Do you want to have mature faith? You need to recognize the mercy and the grace of God coming to the undeserving. For when you do that, it's easy to do the next thing. The next thing is growing faith, trust the character and the word of God. How much did Rahab know about the God of the Bible? Not a whole lot. She knew some headlines. What did she know about the character of God? She she knew that God had judged the Egyptians that he had moved heaven and earth in order to deliver the Israelites from oppression. She also knew that God had judged the Amorite kings in order to allow the Israelites to enter the promised land. She knew that God was a judging God. And she knew that if God had judged the Egyptians and the Amorites, he would also judge her. What else did she know about this God? She knew that this God in verse 11, uh, for the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, we hear that and that's not very impressive to us. But if you were an Israelite and you heard the words she used, it would be a very clear profession of faith in the salvation of the Lord. She's using the language that the Israelites would have used in their worship in Deuteronomy 4, 39. 
she is using a very specific name of the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, His covenant name. She says, For you alone, Yahweh, are Lord of heaven and earth and all that is in between. It's an amazing profession of faith, especially when you think about the culture that she lived in. This culture had so many gods. They had a god of fertility. They had a god of rain. And all you had to do was offer the right sacrifice to this particular god. And then everything would be okay. And in the midst of this culture, she is saying, No, for the God of Israel, He alone is the Lord of the universe. She knew the character of God. She knew that if he judged the Egyptians and the Amorites, he would also judge her. But he also knew that God was a God of salvation. And if he had saved the Israelites, he could also save her. She didn't know a lot, but she knew enough about the character of God. You see, Christian faith, maturing faith, growing faith, Trust in the character of God and the Word of God. And the parallel is quite obvious. We live in a culture that pushes God to the margins, that accepts Him in one domain but not in another. And this cultural trend is more evident in our lives than we would like to admit. If we don't make Him the Lord of heaven and earth, we make Him the Lord of Sunday and not our work week. We allow the Lord to be our God when it comes to certain parts of our lives. But then we exclude Him from other parts of our lives. Don't touch my sexuality. Don't touch my marriage. Don't touch my vocation. I'll follow you in all these other areas of my life. But I don't trust you with certain parts of my life. You see, the mark of immaturity is to not believe the word of someone trusted. Think again about how our kids do that. They express unbelief from someone they should trust. When I tell them not to jump off the deck, then they say, but did you really say not to jump off this section of the deck? There's unbelief. There's also distrust. How many times do we hear, dad and mom, they just don't understand. It's a mark of immaturity. That's what we do. We think that we know better than others who are more experienced and loving. And that enters into our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. If He really is all-wise, and if He really is all-loving, then doesn't it make sense that He knows best for our life? You see, freedom is not the absence of restraint. Freedom comes from living how the designer or the creator intended It's really obvious if you just look around. Look at a fish in an aquarium. You're watching TV. Goldie is in that aquarium next to you. Goldie thinks, you know what? I'd really like to be free. That couch looks really comfortable. So Goldie flops out of the aquarium, lands on the sofa, and what happens to Goldie? Goldie will die. (laughs) You see, freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's living in line with the Creator's intention. If we really trust the character of God and the Word of God, then it becomes easy to do the third thing. 
Growing faith obeys for the glory of God and the good of others. Look how radical Rahab's obedience was. She risked her life. The Amorite army came. And as they asked for the two spies, she tells them they went that way. And she sends them on a wild goose chase. And she risked her life. If they would have discovered her treason, she would have been killed for her faith. And then not only does she obey for the sake of the spies, she even has compassion for her family. Think about that. She has to tell all of her family to come into her house because destruction is coming. Even by telling her family is risking her life. There is radical obedience there. She is obeying for the glory of God and the good of others. She had amazing courage and compassion in saving other people. She risked her life to save the spies, her enemies, and her family. And her family, even the ones who had probably shunned her because of her vocation. Rahab obeyed for the glory of God and the good of others. And it's amazing the change and the transformation that took place in her life. In Matthew 1, that tells us a little bit about the genealogy of Rahab. Do you know who one of her descendants, who her son may have been, was Boaz? Do you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? Boaz married a foreigner. Do you remember Ruth came to glean in his fields? And she asked him, she said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me because I am a foreigner? Now listen to Rahab's son Boaz's response. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land. And you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under those wings you have come to take refuge. Do you see the generational faithfulness that she is passing on to her descendants? Boaz, her son, is living with great courage and compassion for the foreigner, for people that are different from him. And did you hear his language? That you've come to take shelter, a refuge. Where were Rahab and her family saved? They were saved in her home. A shelter, a refuge from the judgment of God. And she had a sign hanging out her window. And you can be sure the Israelites probably recalled about the sign that they put over their homes, over the doorpost, the blood of the Lamb that spared them from judgment. Do you see this beautiful picture that when we have faith in the God who has saved us, We will live our lives in radical obedience for the glory of God and the good of others. You see, it's a mark of immaturity, again, in our children when they obey with hesitation and qualification. It's what kids do, right? There's hesitations. How many times do I have to tell them to clean their room? Well, there's always qualification. 
My two-year-old's favorite word, why? Why do I have to brush my teeth tonight? Because if you don't, your teeth will fall out. And then the next night, why do I have to brush my teeth? Because if you don't brush your teeth, your teeth will fall out and life will not go well with you. Brush your teeth. But our children obey with hesitation and qualification. That's a sign of immaturity. Christian, are we willing to obey God for His glory and the good of others, loving people who may be very different from us? Are you so radical that you would lay down your life for the benefit of someone else? That's what mature and growing faith looks like. Now, we began the sermon looking at two amazing associations between Rahab and Sarah and between Rahab and Abraham. But there's an even greater, more amazing association in Matthew 1.5. Rahab is associated with the Messiah. She's an ancestor of Jesus. And it actually tells us she married. And who did she marry? She married Samon. And if you were paying attention to the sermon series in December, you would know that from Numbers, Samon and his father, they were royalty. They were princes. And so you see, she was associated with Christ. And as a result, she went from being a prostitute to a princess. God tells us what he did for Rahab and the spies. He will do for you and me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that in these moments you would enable us to recognize the mercy and the grace of God that has come to the undeserving. That you would enable us to trust your character and your word even when it does not make sense to us. And Father, we ask that you would enable us to live sacrificial lives for your glory for the good of others. Father, help us to say yes to living a life that is transformed by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.